Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bougie. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. Alright, so um, this is an episode, a special episode about OSR October. Now, to my knowledge, or to, it's my understanding that OSR October is an idea that um, Rob of Down in the Heap podcast came up to, uh, up with, well, making a mess of this already, I don't know. Uh, he, he came up with the idea um, to showcase uh, the better aspects of the OSR movement. And I should probably say that I'm not going to really try to define the OSR uh, because I think it's beyond definitions at this state. Um, and But for me, it doesn't include the original old school games. Um, so it doesn't include BX, D&D or, you know, any of the TSR D&D books or anything after that. It's very much focused on clones or games derivative from um, that experience that uh, sometimes but not always change the rules uh, towards more modern um, um, preferences if you like. Um, so that that's, uh, that's a contentious um, take on the OSR. Uh, I'm not saying that's the definition but that's the definition I'm going to use for this podcast episode. So uh, today, if I if all goes well, I'm going to look at three um, books, three purchases that I have recently obtained um, that relate to the OSR or part of the OSR, um, generally considered, and give a little review of them, um, hopefully without giving too many uh, spoilers away. Um, I should also add that I haven't necessarily read cover to cover um, these books. Um, in one case, because I'm playing in the game, but I'll I'll try to give you, the the listener, a, a general kind of feel for what these products are. So, um, I think we should just get straight into it. Okay, so first up, I have Iron Falcon seventy five, the Lakeside Adventures by Chris Gonerman. Now, um, for those of you who do not know, Iron Falcon is a fairly close um, retro clone, for want of a better word, of 1975 Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it basically takes the original white box set and the Greyhawk uh, supplement and delivers them them in a way that is uh, close to the style of play that Chris and others would have enjoyed uh, back in the day. It also includes some options, but we'll probably take a look at that last. Um, these options being relating to how the game was actually played at the table. So this, this game, um, this Iron Falcon, the actual main game, Iron Falcon, came out some years ago i don't have an actual date for that uh possibly hmm i'm not quite 100 percent sure uh but the iron falcon 75 is an, a further adaptation of the iron falcon game and it's a whole campaign setting really and a very special uh, kind of unusual take on dungeons and dragons as you'll see as i uh as I read more about it. So, um, this game, I believe, is available free on the uh, Iron Falcon um, and Basic Fancy Roleplay uh, internet website. So you might want to check that out first. But um, basically, um, how best to uh, explain this? Well, uh the general idea is that you are one of an, uh, a group of friends uh, growing up on the, the on the edge of one you know on the town on the edge of one of the um, great lakes in North America, um, and so really where where Dungeons and Dragons really started off and 
you uh, soon, without giving too many spoilers away, um, yeah, you're living in the real ordinary world, but magic begins to spill into your world, okay? And you begin to, the players uh, begin to display certain powers or um, um, propensities. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you, you know, um, certain abilities, certain uh, inclinations, uh, that lead them into the path, onto the path of being a cleric, a magic user, a fighter, a thief. Now, all the players obviously are human because they are starting in the real world, and um, um, I'm playing in this game, and it's it's quite a a mystery of how it all, uh, what's really going on because I, obviously I haven't read the book. I'm just playing it, and part of that. Um, that that mystery itself actually lends the game uh, a lot of uh, excitement because you don't know what's happening. You really don't know. Um, you really don't know why the um, the world of uh, fantasy and and legend is starting to bleed into the real world, and also also um, because you're playing ordinary characters, you don't know how much of the uh, game information and your knowledge about the monsters and the uh, the tropes of Dungeons and Dragons, the spells and so on, that you can use um, as character information to to run the game. And um, so there's this interesting kind of um, uh, interaction we're having with the DM, the, the GM if you prefer, who is uh, GM Lyle, who's a, a member of my face-to-face group, um, where for example, my character is a cleric, um, and he actually went to a seminary. He's a he's a uh, he's a Catholic priest, and of course, um, there's information in the back about uh, adapting the information to your to the preferences that or um, styles of your group. We'll kind of go into that when we look at the contents table. So it's often a case of uh, well. Um, what are my duties, you know, what are my duties in the community, what do I know, who who do I know, Um, what information can I use, am I aware of uh, anything about um, uh, uh, the the undead, you know, magic, um, demons and stuff, and if so, um, how much of that information can I draw upon, Um, you know, exorcisms and all that kind of stuff. uh, other characters have a, a criminal background, perhaps they spent some time in jail. These guys are actually developing thief, their thief abilities. But we're still very much locked in the real world, although we keep on dipping into this uh, strange legendary world. And this kind of tension between um, the real and the fantastic and, and what you know, what what your character knows, what your um, player knows, and, and trying to... Uh, discuss these matters with the DM and other players to create a satisfying game um, uh, experience at the table or the virtual table in our case has been really uh, enjoyable Um, it's really enjoyable Um, I don't want to give any more details away um, except to say that the book contents uh, go over some of the, the introduction it has an introduction of course it, it's talking about 1975, about gender, religion and ethnicity um, and some of the issues that you might want to consider before running the game uh, relating to those points. Um, it's got referees notes, realms of shadow, magic in the real world, about money, about alignment. Um, it's got required rules on firearms and character classes, additional weapons. Because, of course, uh, in, in our case, for example... We not all of us have found uh, armor, so when we are engaging with this fantastic world, we need protection. We need weapons, and in some cases, we're actually using weapons from the real world uh, and armor from the real world. You know, uh, my character, our characters are have leather jackets, and, and um, they're using bits of bits of uh, hockey hockey um, padding and what whatnot. So. Um, there's kind of there's rules on on, on doing stuff like that uh, that's kind of fun it's got some op- optional rules that uh 
I added into Iron Crown. You thought I was going to talk about Iron Crown. I did too, but I, I got a bit confused there. These rules are additional to those of the Iron Crown, which, as I said, is a is a fairly uh, close um, retro clone of of uh, 1975 Dungeons and Dragons. This one adds some other things, some stuff on healing, alternative hit points, um, armor class, uh, fighting with two weapons, um, some other stuff here I don't quite know about. Um, and then it goes into the actual uh, adventure material. Um, I'm not going to name the parts here. I don't really want to look too closely at this. Um, at the end, it's got notes for the referee about experience points, pulling everything together, family, um, mm, using other rule systems, which may be uh, interesting to some people who don't want to use Iron Falcon, but do like the idea of this kind of uh, this um, crossover worlds type campaign. And the character backgrounds, so generating characters and using kind of uh, archetypes like the the uh, the crook and the the jock and all that to to base your characters on. Um, all in all, I know that's a very quick review. All in all, um, very interesting game. We've been going on and looking on uh, you know the internet, looking up things about nineteen seventy five, the music, the the clothes, the equipment. Did they have what kind of walkie talkies did they have available to the public? If any, um, you know the state of the art like that. Um, uh, but the politics, the the religions, the 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 uh, ethnic makeups of people in that area at the time, newspapers, you know, all, all this stuff, um, and so it's been engaging and and uh, interesting on many levels. You know, I was one in nineteen seventy five, <laughs> so I don't know this, and of course I'm not American. Um, so there's so much there. Uh, very interesting game. Um, do I recommend it? Yep, 100%. Um, I think I said that this was available online. Well, that may be the case of the Iron Falcon main rules. Um, but I'm not sure if it's the case of Iron Falcon 75. So you may want to check that up. But I will say that if you pick it up on uh, like a paper copy, a proper you know print copy, um, I think you may be able to get it on Drive Through RPG and Lulu. You can definitely get it on Amazon. It's very, very cheap. It's made, um, you know, basically at production cost. So he's not, uh, Chris isn't making a huge amount of money on this. Um, Chris, I don't think he actually uses the word retro clone or OSR, I should note. Um, I should add. Um, so. Uh, uh, I forget which term he uses, but uh, but you know we, we can throw it in that uh, that general kind of uh, category. I think here for the review, at any rate. The I haven't really talked about the the uh, artifact itself. Yeah, it's, it's very cheap. Um, it's it's good. The 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 front cover uh, has a a simple black and white design um, with a kind of greys. The artwork has greys added in there as well. The fonts are kind of 75-ish, you know, look maybe like some old um, very, very early kind of computer game kind of um, graphic fonts. Uh, what am I saying here? The The actual main picture is uh, deceptively simple. Uh, at a distance it doesn't look anything special. It's a, a typical piece of art on on these uh, reasonably priced uh, OSR type games that you might find anywhere. But if you look at it closely, it's actually a really lovely piece. Um, it ha features a dragon that is bending around. It's It looks almost like a an Asian, uh, an East Asian dragon, in fact. And there's a, there's four heroes. Um, a wizard who is standing on a Volkswagen Beetle, casting some spell. Looks like a, a lightning bolt. There's a, a a woman with a big afro, and she is wearing roller skates, <laughs> and she's got this sword, and she's about to hack into the dragon. In flares below her, there's a there's the 
priest with a baseball bat and a crucifix, another big crucifix around his neck. He's wearing yeah, big black flares. And there's a, a hippie-looking guy below that biker or a hippie wearing a, a headband and long hair. And he's got a jacket and flared jeans. And he's holding a, a big kind of bread knife or something. And he's just opening a suitcase of cash. <laughs> so it's his beautiful blend of... Uh, the modern and the fantastic, well, the modern in 1975, and the fantastic, yeah, nice touch to add those uh, roller skates and the Volkswagen Beetle. Right, um, so I should probably add that it has a 122 page count, uh, including some of the back material. Uh, it has a ta- very good table of contents. Does it have a index? Probably not. It has a new character sheet. It has these templates. Um, the maps are clear. I'm not looking at them very closely, though. Uh, as anybody who has played uh, basic fantasy roleplay will know, the hit points are actually... Each creature's hit points are given as a little um, little boxes, so you can tick off the boxes as they go. So if it has seven hit points, it's got seven little boxes, and you, you just tick them off, so it's really easy to keep track of. And um, that is it. I may add a... I should probably add a, a link... Which Amazon, are, you know, everybody uses a different Amazon, right? But uh, we'll add the Amazon America uh, one. This is um, this is very reasonably priced. I'm not going to look it up now. Is it $5? Is it is it $10? It's probably around there. Um, it's a really nice piece. I really enjoyed it. Even if you're not going to play it, but you, you're interested in this kind of idea... I think it's well worth getting hold of and you could probably convert some of the material anyway um, into a more uh, typical fantasy setting. Right. Um, what do I do? I I think that's a, that's a big thumbs up from me. Yeah, love that. Uh, good work, Chris, um, as always. Okay, just before I begin the, the next review... I want to add a few points about Iron Falcon 75. So this was, um, I think it's released in about 2022. Okay, so it is very new. And the price is $10.55 for the paperback, $21.30 for the hardcover. Um, This is a little bit higher than the usual price, I think, of uh, like basic fantasy role-playing game. But this is Iron Falcon. And Iron Falcon, I think Chris does actually make money from that to a, a... a limited extent, um, whereas the basic fancy, as you will see, um, is much more reasonably priced, and there is very little. I think there's very little profit on that at all. So the next uh, review that I would like to cover is for a basic fancy role-playing game adventure collection. Um, I think Chris does have some adventures in here, but it's produced by a whole number of people who are involved in basic fantasy on the discord and the and the website that they run now you can get a copy of adventure anthology 3 from various sources like lulu and so on but the price on amazon this is amazon japan is six dollars 25 cents and that's paperback only 625 that's really cheap so what do you get well, first, you don't have to buy this book. It says in bold um, on the back of the <laughs> on the back cover, and this is true of all the basic fantasy role playing games. You're advised, well, you know, um, you can get these books online for free in PDF format. So why not use that? Um, however, if you wish to, you know, the paper the paperbacks are very reasonably priced, and uh, some people prefer to have a paper copy. So. It's a real service. Uh, I, I I absolutely love basic fantasy and frequently uh, dream, fantasize about switching to this set of rules, um, if not Iron Falcon. So um, this is the third Adventure Anthology, uh, as you may have guessed from the title Adventure Anthology 3. And they are generally, you know, small adventure modules by various authors and they take one or more sessions to complete each. So there's various styles of adventure, and this is pretty much as it says on the back. Now, 
I'll turn, well, I'll look at the cover first. I should probably do that. So this is AA3, Adventure Anthology 3. Um, it's got the typical kind of black um, cover with uh, a kind of, there's a crenellated, like a fortress crenellations, you know, um, along the sides, at top and bottom, um, which frames the artwork, which is uh, more like a paper, kind of parchment-like quality to it, given the title and the um, copyright information at the bottom, title at the top. Uh, between those is an image um, in colour. Um, looks like it's been painted, although it could be um, pastels, could be pastels. Uh, it's of a sword lying on a uh, in the grass, and there are some rune stones scattered about it. It's actually quite a nice little image. Um, now, to my knowledge, I'm going to open the book now and look at the interior art and maps, but to my knowledge, they don't use AI for any of their art uh, in the Basic Fantasy or Iron Falcon um, books. Um, and... So we're gonna look open this now. I'm strongly believe this is the first edition. It was published in 2023, although the copyright goes back to originally to 2020 because it's been in development, and it's been in available um, as you know it's released 17, right? So it's been available um, as a PDF for a while. It's distributed under the terms of the Open Game License version 1.8. 0A, so it looks like they haven't switched over to a different system, at least in this. I'll have to look at my uh, Basic Fantasy 4th edition. I think it's the 4th edition they're on now. Let's have, well, I'll do it now. Right. That's kind of of, of interest. Uh, fourth, yes, and it's the 4th edition that came out, I think, earlier this year. Yeah, um, 2023. And... What have we got here? It's, oh, here we go. It's originally licensed under the Creative Commons attribution. Ah, sorry, that's the text. <laughs> um, Creative Commons attribution share alike 4.0 international license. That's for maps, floor plans, diagrams, charts. Um... Mm, yeah, and I don't see anything about the OGL. I'll look in the back because that's where it will typically be. No. So it looks like they've dumped the OGL. But they kept it for the previous, uh, for the adventure there. Uh, the adventure anthology, which suggests that the rule book is much more, is more up to date. Right. Well, we'll come back to that maybe another time. That's an interesting little topic. Uh, perhaps some of you know about that and you can you can drop it in and tell me about that. But yeah, distributed under the terms of the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Um, as opposed to the anthology, which says Open Game License Version 1.0. So that's interesting. Maybe they just didn't have time to go through it, everything again before it hit publication. Right, to the stuff you want to see. Right, there's art, there's black and white art and maps throughout. The art quality is actually very, fairly good, you know. Um, the artists are contributing. Hmm. I mean, it's difficult to tell. Some of the art looks like it's been rehashed from other um, basic fantasy role-playing uh, publications. A couple of items look like they could be AI, but it's they say that they don't use AI, so I'll, I'll trust them there. The maps are clear enough. Um, the stat blocks, as I've said, they have that typical kind of like uh, little squares for hit points. Um, including, you know, it's got the number seven and then it'll have seven little squares. I really like that. Maps, it's got images of some of the NPCs. That's great. It's got some of the scenes. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, look, for the price of $6, you're getting something that's pretty um, great. Um, I'll just give you the page count before I look at the content. So it's got a page count, including the open game license. It's a page count of 151 pages. There we go. So uh, incredible value for money. Right, well, what are the adventures inside? I am not going to 
tell you exactly what their um how the adventures break down i've not read them all and i have not played them all and i don't know when i will run or play them so <clears throat> um there are one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve adventures in here that's pretty good um the first one is called Fire Mountain, and I'll I'll read you the um, little blurbs for a couple of them. I'm not going to do all of them. So, Fire Mountain by John Dutton. That's the first adventure on page three. The people of Drake's Haven are dying from a plague, but a wizard knows of a cure. All that is needed is a group of courageous adventurers to seek the ingredients in a place called Fire Mountain for four to six characters of levels three to five. All right, that sounds interesting. Uh, you know, it sounds like a typical adventure, but who knows? I haven't read it. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, there's a... Hmm. The Search of Grimfall, page 52, by Alan Vetter. Will you help the priest and sister search the town? And what are they looking for? For four to eight characters of levels one to two. Um, moving on, there's a more medium-level adventure here. The Ruined Sawmill by Sean Wellington. A once prosperous lumber camp has stood abandoned after a fire over a year ago. Rumours among the locals suggest creatures in the surrounding woods are to blame. What truly caused the fire and what will the party find upon investigating? For th uh, three to seven characters of levels three to five, and we'll have a look at the final one. Unbarrenable Circumstances. Unbarrenable Circumstances, okay. By Paul R. Cottrell. The new baron needs help to rescue his wife from hobgoblins. Can the party track down, track them down and rescue the baroness in time for four to six characters of levels two to four? Now, there's a lot of other game uh, adventures here. I they sound like the blurbs I've read now they sound fairly kind of uninspiring perhaps kind of uh, typical but I don't think that's necessarily the case um, looking through um, uh, you'd have to buy it and find out but you know um, looking at the item here the pictures, the maps it looks like a a well thought out um professionally collected uh anthology you've got very nice maps of some cities you've got some wilderness maps you've got dungeons houses as i said you've got pictures of npcs and creatures and encounters all that for six dollars twenty five uh how could you go wrong um so, yep, big thumbs up from me for that. Uh, again, that's um, kind of Chris Gonerwell connected. Um, so is there a theme developing here? Perhaps. Okay, and let us move on. Okay, so next up is Beneath the Sunken Catacombs, old school adventure game by Paul Bantock. Um, and it clearly displays an OSR using a, a new uh, logo that I have not seen before. The back is quite simple. It just says, delve into forgotten battle against odds, against the odds, gold and glory await. So this can be found again on, from various sources, including drive-through RPG. Um, and I think you can pick up a PDF for like $1 or something, um, yeah, a couple of dollars or something. But the, the paper version, if you prefer, is $7.99. Again, that's uh, pretty good for what you get. And what you get is 140, 149 pages. And it seems to be operating under the Open Game License version 1.0a again. Um, possibly released let's see I think it was released this year but it may have been released just about the time that all this uh, all this, these problems with the open game license occurred so he just uh, didn't have much choice but to, 
to release it like that. Or perhaps he wasn't bothered. Who knows? So the cover is um, interesting. Um, it's not bad. It's not great. It's um, All the art in this is artificially artificially artificial intelligence um ai generated art let's say um it's color it's in color it appears to be um, i mean what is it so the ai does really weird things to objects sometimes so this is a looks like it could be the catacombs it looks almost like it's a skeleton but is the skeleton actually part of a catacombs or this cave cavern complex is it a is this a you know a skeleton's face or is it actually a cave that um is carved or shaped like a, a skull i don't know um it's not bad it's not bad at all uh, i don't have any complaints about that um and this is one of the things about the book is there is art everywhere it would have been impossible i think um, to deliver a book like this at anything like this price um, without using AI art. Um, now, he could have decided not to use AI art uh, for reasons, um, the same reasons that, say, Chris Goneman and friends might uh, not use it. But he, he's gone a different direction. Um, is that good, bad? Well, I'll leave that to you. I, I think it's... Um, I don't think he's stealing work from anybody because the only other option would have been to have no art or minimal art. Um, so, mm, I mean, by doing this, I guess, by having all this art, he, he has a, a layout which... Uh, this is Paul Bantock, the writer, has a layout that he can then, at a further date, if he adapts it, he can then, you know, shift, move these pictures to pictures by a you know real artists if he wants who knows um and release a a, a deluxe edition in the future you know a revised edition that costs a lot more money but we don't have that here what we have is a very reasonably priced role-playing game now what is the role-playing game um it is basically um it is basically um white box Dungeons and Dragons, original Dungeons and Dragons, and I believe he says somewhere he says that it's based very closely on the White Box Fantastic Medieval Adventure game, or at least the White Box game as released by um, Swords and Wizardry. A little bit sketchy on that, so forgive me if I've got that a little bit wrong. Um, so. We have the basic classes slightly, slightly uh, renamed: the warrior, the sorcerer, the priest, the thief, the dwarf, the elf, and the halfling. Well, what you said, original Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yes, he's actually he's gone for um, races class here, and and he has a dwarf, an elf, and a halfling class, just as you would have in the Moldvay or uh, Mensur basic um, versions of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, a little bit more on that later, because I think the classes is where this role-playing game really shines. It's got a section at the beginning about what is an RPG. Um, some flavour text. What is an RPG? A page on that. Talking about acting, role-playing, problem-solving. What are NPCs rolling dice? Uh, you know, For one page, I guess it goes into enough detail. What is an OSR? It's not a game of heroes. The games owe you nothing. Player-driven fun. Embrace fate. Okay, I'm not going to go into the details of what those are, but from those titles, you can kind of guess um, what how he is defining the OSR. Um, if that's something worth coming back to, if you're interested, um, do give me, do drop me a line or something. Send, write me a message or whatever. So we'll go back to the the table of contents. So we've got the classes, attributes. Um, we've got equipment and henchmen, right? Oh, henchmen right up the front there. Equipment, that's very uh, interesting. Hirelings and services are part of that section. Um, we've got playing the game um, with uh, information about dungeon exploration, thief skills, overland travel, combat, death and damage, attribute tests, campaigns and downtime. That's interesting, downtime. Um, hiring mercenaries, experience and levelling up. Then we have spellcraft and magic, the sorcerer spells, the priest spells. The sorcerer, obviously, is the magic user. The bestiary, 
and the monster abilities, monsters, designing monsters, artifacts and treasure, potion scrolls, blah blah blah. You know, you know the typical D uh, D kind of uh, treasure and magic items. A section not very large, seven pages on games mastering, which are divided into being prepared, improvising, world building, dungeon design, encounter design, trap design, and a section called the weird. Um, which is kind of like alternative settings or campaign ideas, uh, classes and so on, optional rules. So he's divided this into zero-level characters against the Empire, which is a anti-campaign where you are the bad guys and, and the Empire... Well, you're not... The bad guys are the good guys in this version um, with the uh, the hum, humans and the, the typical... Um, empire the world is actually the bad and you're trying to survive in it as orcs beastmen and so on it's got the classes the beastman the troglodyte the mutant the orc it's got a section on creative combat npc statistics and random encounters and that's the table of contents um so <clears throat> um i'll just focus on a few points um gender you can be of any gender you like. There's no statistical modifiers associated with gender. And as a general rule, all the genders are treated with a relative degree of respect. A world full of dragons and orcs has very little room for sexism. Uh, a very clear um, stance there. Alignment is basically chaotic, neutral and lawful if you want to use them. Um, the attributes work very similarly to um, white box D and D in that the highest bonus is a plus one, the the biggest um, negative is a minus one, and these are reached if you have a, a skill of fi- a, a, an ability score of fifteen plus, or for the plus one, or a an ability score of five or less for the minus. Ability scores are determined using three D six typically in order, but you can switch them around whatever. It says you cannot be moved around or switched. These results are final as the gods intended, but I'm pretty sure elsewhere it says the DM can do what they want. Um, Armour class. Mm, Is it it ascending armour class? Do you care? (laughs) I suspect it is, because one of the points about this game is that uh, it's it's an old-school game, with new school sensibilities. Well, what does it mean by sensibilities? New school, uh, some new school mechanics and, and ways of adapting the classes and so on, as you'll see in a few moments. Um, the character classes. So the character classes are very similar to what you'd expect. And I'll give you a few examples. But one of the features it has, and I think this is really good, uh, and and. And it's something that could be easily um, added into any of your old school games to mod them uh, and to adapt them to so that the characters are aren't simple archetypes. That there are different types of fires. There are different types of elves. There are different types of thieves, magic users, and so on. So, if you don't want to play uh, the typical version. There are some trade-offs that you can take, right? You can have an, a variant. So if you want to be a warrior with white, um, that wears light armor, you can choose to go with a barbarian or a swashbuckler. And they have a limitation. They accept a limitation in exchange for some kind of advantage in, in some other um, respect. Um so this is really good. So yeah, you can have an elven priest in this. So the elf isn't simply always a magic user, a fighter magic user, as with the basic game. You can have swap out the magic user spells for priest spells. Um, let's have a look at some of the details. The the um, the game basically runs to level ten, and then suggests that you retire from that point. Um, hit the experience points have been very much revised. Um, downwards from what I can see. Um, now, not everybody gains a bonus to... Let's have a look at the warrior. Here's a class, your typical warrior, right? The fighter. And <clears throat> they can wear 
They can use any weapon, wear any armor, and wield any shield. I don't know if you can wield a shield, but they can use a shield. Um, they gain a plus one damage to all melee weapon attacks um, if they have a strength of 15 plus, which to me suggests that only the fighter gets a bonus to uh, damage. So here's the thing. Okay, looking back. If you have a 15 plus strength, you get a plus one to attack rolls with melee weapons. Um, the fighter also gets, in other words, the fighter also gets a plus one to damage with those melee weapons. If he, if he, he or she has that 15 or greater in strength. Door kicker. Warriors can break down doors on a d6 roll of one to three. So presumably, normally it's a one in six or two in six. So they gain that bonus, regardless of strength as well. Saving throws. A warrior receives a plus two bonus to any saving throw roll made versus death and poison. So in this game, uh, similar to white box to swords and wizardry, you get pluses to hit. So I'm assuming it uses an A. As you go up levels, you gain plus to hit. Plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four. Um, and it seems to be one plus per level, right up to plus ten. Saving throws start at fifteen, then drop down ultimately uh, to improving to a saving throw of six at level ten, and and you get a plus two on that roll uh, to help you save in the case of death or poison, and all the other classes are like that as well. They'll get they'll have a a benefit in certain save against certain saves. Attacks per round upon. Reaching fourth level, they may, may attack twice in each round. And at eighth level, they may attack three times per round. That's quite um, deadly. That's much higher, uh, more powerful than um, even advanced dungeons and dragons. Natural toughness. Whenever a warrior rolls their hit dice, they roll twice and pick the higher of the two results. I love that. Um, I frequently um, have first level characters taking um, the average well, rounded up, hit points at first level if they roll less than that. Uh, but this is great. You just take whatever hit points you get, but the warrior gets that little advantage because they're going to be right up in the front lines. They'll be the ones taking the damage. So that's the typical warrior, right? And that's all you need. Um, the, the table level table gives you the hit dice. It gives you... Now, hit dice, by the way, is 1d6. Um, and they are simple d dice here. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... So up to 60 hit points, um, unless you have a, a constitution bonus for hit points. Um, so closer to the original Dungeons and Dragons in that case. They don't use different hit dice. Everybody uses a d6. It's just some of the other classes don't gain hit points as often. Now, here are the warrior variants, and this is uh, really interesting. So there's the Crusader, the Brigand, the Barbarian, and the Swashbuckler. So if you don't want to be that typical warrior, you can go for the Crusader. And the Crusader is a holy warrior and a servant of a god. They do not gain additional attacks per round. So they train out that those additional attacks at 4th and 8th level, level. But starting at 3rd level, they may cast spells as a priest of 2 levels lower. Very similar to um, the 1st edition Paladin, but with a higher level of um, spell use there. The brigand um, may not wear heavy armor heavier than chainmail or use a shield. Um, but starting at third level, they may use thievery as a rogue of two levels lower. Great, so we kind of got like a, a multi-class feel, but it's set in stone. You know, you're not switching back and forward and suddenly gaining all these abilities. The barbarian may not wear any armor heavier than chainmail. However, their keen instincts grant them plus one on all of their saving flow. Fro can't even speak. All of their saving throws. So that's in addition to the plus two they typically get for, for as a, a warrior against death and poison. Um, so that's very good. Very lucky. Swashbuckler may not wear armor heavier than a lever or use a shield, but they receive a plus one bonus to armor class, as well as attacks and damage rolls made with a single-handed weapon. Mm. Okay. Now we've got the sorcerer. I'm not going to go into the various um, different types of sorcerer, but there's an esoteric archer. There's the elven sage. Who is he an elf? Mm. Well, he seems to be elf-like, 
Uh, a, so it's a, is it a sorcerer that's kind of elf-like? Difficult to tell. Um, is, it, is it a human sorcerer with elven features? Who, who can say? That's down to you, right? The sword mage, that's obviously a, little, a few more, spe um, some more combat abilities. We've got the priest. Um, oh, priests gain spells from first level in this as opposed to second level in basic or original D&D. Oh, I should probably say that the sorcerer starts off with two level, two first level spells. So get a little bit more spell casting ability in this. We'll go on to spells though, because they are different. They worked out a little bit differently in this game. Um, you've got a war, you know, as the variants of the priest, you've got a war priest who can use any melee weapon and any armor. Uh, I think that the standard priest here cannot wear plate armor. So they, you know, they've kind of pushed that back a little bit. But if you're a war priest, you can use any weapon. You can use any armor. Uh, you've got something called a sanctifier, who loses access to divine wisdom, which is the ability to gain extra spells due to higher wisdom. But instead, they can turn undead once per encounter without spending a spell slot. So in this game, you spell, you use spell slots to turn undead. I believe it's a, a spell. The nature priest, the monastic scholar. I'm not going to go into any more of these, but you get the idea. Um, thief, the dwarf, um, the elf. I could talk about the halfling. I'll talk about the elf. So the elf variant. You know, you've got the typical elf who can cast, fight, kind of like a fighter. Um, isn't doesn't have that plus one to hit at first level though so they're not quite as good as a, a fighter they can detect secret doors with increasing uh, ability as they increase in level they start off with one spell per day but they can only get spells up to level three um they can only use they can use weapons of any type but only wear leather armor so not any armor as in basic dungeons and dragons um they do get night vision not infravision, night vision. You can the variants include the elven ranger, the elven priest, the blade, the blade dancer, and the elven knight. Now you know the the elven knight can use chainmail um, and use shields. So interesting. Right. Um, just what once more I'll say. Uh, yeah, I mean that's I love that. The variants these these can be easily imported into your ODD or your DD game and they can be used to inspire similar variants uh, on a case by case um you know a case by case as you're creating a character or as you're creating a character with a, a player um so i really like that that's sort of really broken some of the chains because i i have a lot of mental chains as you know i, I do like to go towards the the uh the written word the the rules as written even though at the same time i despise myself for that so the next section is equipment now probably what's worth uh, mentioning here is that the equipment um the main currency here is silver pieces not gold pieces so instead of having these world with like gold is just everywhere and all other currency is kind of like worthless not really worth carrying around um the silver pieces is the main money um, and i think one gold piece is 50 gold pieces, uh, 50 silver pieces, uh, or something like that. Um, so uh, a sword costs 20 silver pieces, um, and so on. Um, there's some uncommon weapons like fine quality armor, fine quality weapons, um, which improve the ability to attack, that is, to, on the hit to hit roll. Or the armor class, I believe, the silver daggers, which I don't think can be used very effectively against normal creatures, but are no, no, it works as a normal, a normal dagger. I'm thinking about another game, uh, but they're able to harm creatures immune to to physical attacks. Um, there's some interesting expendables here, anti venom acid flask bandages so we're getting bandages so you've got low hit points but i think once per adventure perhaps once per um attack or wound you can use bandages and they give you a d6 hit points back 
not everybody's um, really keen on that kind of rule, but uh, I think I'd I'd like to try it. You've got caltrops candles, disinfectant. Again, this stops the chance of um, disease and infection, wound infection, it says. So I love that. Um, fire oil flask. Um, holy water. It's kind of typical, right? Lamp oil flask. So the, the fire oil is more like your Greek fire. Um, all right. You get the idea. So it's got a few little twists on there. Um, services in bars, hirelings, definitely very much up front here like that. Um, I think the player should use these to increase their abilities rather than to expect abilities to buy abilities. Yeah, I mean, it's much more interesting role-playing-wise to, to hire an alchemist, to have an archivist, to use labourers, to have a torchbearer or a spy, etc., etc., than to have those abilities yourself um, because the game just becomes about these kind of like incredible polymaths that, that are expected to do everything whereas if the player hires these people you've got this cast of NPCs that then become important in the town uh, for the players that even if the player character dies these NPCs do not and so it it's keeping this persistence in the world, you know, um, so that even if there are changes in the actual cast of the game, the world kind of persists, and that's very much a, a feature of uh, old-school gaming, I suppose, um, some might say. Maybe not everybody agrees with that. Then you've got these other aspects, and uh, I'm probably doing a disservice by passing over them here. It's got some information about um, death and damage how does death work here everybody wants to know right so when a character damages sorry that should have an apostrophe there when a character is damaged not a, not plural um, characters damage reaches their maximum hit points they are said to have no hit points remaining often called zero hit points at this point the character is knocked unconscious then it says, under death, a death does not stop at zero. Excuse me, let me try that again. That's not them, that's me. Death, damage does not stop at zero. If a hit reduces a character to a negative hit point total equal to their level, then they are killed. For example, a second level wizard is killed if their hit point drops to minus two or lower. Bandaging, we've mentioned that. Let's read it out. Bandages allow a character to heal some of the damage they have suffered uh, following a fight. Applying a bandage takes about a minute and it can only heal damage suffered during the fight. Only one bandage may be applied following a combat encounter. So you can use bandages after every combat encounter and it heals you 1d6 hit points. Um, it means you don't have to use tons of healing points. Is it realistic? No, probably not. But then, you know, these hit points, what are they, you know? Um, you don't get beefier. It, it, it's a combination of scratches and all sorts of things. And bandages, yeah, I like, I like the idea. I do like the idea. Um, I also, going back to death, I do like the idea of restricted uh, survivability at negative hit points, but restricted, not the minus 10 of, of first edition or whatever that became. Uh, sorry, first edition, second edition. I think it may have been optional, actually, in those editions, too. But uh, it's certainly something we used. That's a bit too much of a protection on the players. It, it really makes death unlikely, even in those so-called dangerous games of AD&D. Natural recovery occurs one hit point per night of uninterrupted sleep. Uh, it can be improved. This can be improved through bed rest time. Um, so if you're staying at a an inn, that's improved like that. Okay, um, there's rules on drowning, falling, poison, burning, paralysis, as you might expect. Stuff on attribute tests. Don't overdo it. Don't roll the dice if you don't need to. Just tell them they do it if it's something that should be kind of uh, fairly easy for them. Uh, somebody of their class or their level or of their whatever, you know. Um, the spells are kind of changed a little, around a little. So there are they've been rejigged a little. 
You can overcharge spells, which sounds like um, using a spell of a a spell slot of a higher a higher spell slot to cast a lower level spell to have a higher effect. Um, let's take one a typical one at, at random level three sorcerer spell lightning bolt hundred feet range duration instant a bolt of lightning extends in a straight line from the caster's finger for a hundred feet striking all within it within its path for three d six damage. A saving throw versus ray is allowed to instead take half damage only. Overcharge increases the lightning bolt's damage to 66. So gone are the, you know, 1d6 per level, which would be, you know, 5d6 plus, right? And so that's been kind of reduced in power a little, but other spells have been increased in power. Um, as I said, Turn Undead is actually a, a priest spell, and because it's using slots, I don't think you actually have to memorize these spells, or at least not all of them, because the wording previously sound, it sounded like you could turn anyway. So um, the creatures are great. There's a picture for every monster. They are AI, as I've already counted out. But looking at this and having a picture for each one, if you are new, for, new to uh, role-playing games, if you're a young gamer, if I was a 10, 11-year-old again, and I had this, I would think it was just absolutely fantastic. They're divided into threat levels, which sounds like a, uh, you know, a, a, a combat rating or something like that. Um, all monsters of that threat level are worth the same experience. So uh, threat level three includes bugbears, giant crabs, giant spiders, boars, large skeletons, zombies, minor demons... Uh, and they're all worth 200 XP. Uh, there's rules on creating your own monsters. <clears throat> or how to vary the monsters to make them more powerful, less powerful. I'm not going to go any further. But hopefully, as you can see, um, it's got yeah, it's got a really nice encounter table at the back. I mean, it's, it's creatures, but it also tells you what they're doing. Hmm, I like that. I mean, it's just a beautiful example of uh, how to create uh, encounter tables um yeah sorry i am gonna look for this sample dungeons got a sample dungeon uh, one level uh, with a couple of encounters key to it to show you how to create a dungeon it's got a sample overland um with random encounters um it's unlabeled uh, each hex is one mile great it's showing you how to do overland it's got a sample town with some characters stores um, NPCs with some personality. Um, interestingly, it doesn't have a map of the town. Hmm. Wonder why they've done that. Maybe they wanted it to be your varying sizes. Very interesting. Or maybe they feel that the town is a town on the hex, and it doesn't require much more than a description. It doesn't need to have everything kind of located on a grid because you're not moving around it in that sort of fashion. There's a character sheet. Um, looks very well laid out. Um, that's all I have to say. Ooh. The guy's thanked the reader at the end, and he's said it's inspired by other great OSR games, white box fantasy medieval adventure game, as I previously mentioned, inspired by Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um he said thank you to Questing Beast, Room ha Rune Hammer, Ranger Lemure, uh, Video Games, Exile Tyranny, Authors Robert E. Howard, thanks to his wife. And that's really nice. Um, so how do I rate, rate this? I mean, I've given a big thumbs up to everything. I, I want to give this um, a double thumbs up. I want to give this a double thumbs up. I've not brought it to the table. Um, even if I do not bring it to the table, it's it's had me think about the basic rules of white box fantasy role play uh, you know OD&D again think how i can have those simple rules but be flexible be flexible with them and uh, work with the player uh to create a kind of uh, character that fits an image that they might have um yeah two thumbs up magic 799 $7.99 i should say us dollars uh, from amazon usa and that is the end of that review. Thank you.
And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening to this point. Um, I don't usually do reviews. And as you can see, it's it, it's not a great review. My reviews are very kind of like uh, general in, in substance. Um, part of that is because in some cases I can't read what I'm doing because you know in the first case I'm playing in the adventure uh, I can tell you what it, the book looks like how it feels playing it but I can't go into the details um two games from uh, Chris Goleman um that's not a mistake that's I have uh, a great deal of respect for him and what the basic fantasy roleplay community are doing um if you don't know basic fantasy roleplay or Iron Falcon um the first being a more kind of um uh, a more uh, free interpretation of uh, basic Dungeons and Dragons and Iron Falcon being a more uh, um, authentic, you might say, authentic version of Dungeons and Dragons from an earlier time, from the from the 70s, then uh, do go, uh, do look on, the, well, you might not be able to find the Discord, but uh, do, do go on the uh, internet and look up basic fancy role playing, and you should be able to find their website. They have a great community, um, message boards, adventures, people writing adventures, contributing for free, um, revising the rules, um, editing stuff. Everything is available for free. The rules are all there. The adventures, supplements, uh, add-ons, so that you can bring in skills, so that you can bring in feats, whatever you want to do with that game. Iron Falcon is a you know again it's a little bit more authentic 1975 type dnd so the the idea behind it is slightly different but again great guy great community um <clears throat> the um yeah no it's that's so that's that's the uh that's the 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 goneman connection there thank you chris for all your work and for everybody involved with them uh the other one i've never heard of paul bantock before um and I had been, again, uh, Lyle, who is uh, DMing the Iron Falcon 75 campaign on Wednesdays for us, and who plays in my um, face-to-face game uh, for uh, usually Dungeons Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, currently Dark Sun. He actually told me to take a look at this because it was available on Amazon. Now, Amazon Japan is for me, right? Uh, getting any role-playing material at a reasonable price because it's printed here in Japan. It's very reasonably priced. Uh, it's not imported. It, it is just a magnificent... Um, it, it's brilliant. It's amazing. I can't uh, stress how difficult it can be getting, or expensive it can be, getting material um, over from overseas. Even if it is Amazon Japan, it may actually be printed elsewhere, and that really tanks... Um, that really, um, it doesn't, it, it tanks my bank account. <laughs> it, it really adds onto the price, not just the, the standard price, but the, the postage as well. And both of those, um, they're translating from US dollars into very weak uh, Japanese economy at the moment. So um, yeah, love this stuff. I love print on demand. Um, yes, it's not coffee book table quality, but what you're getting is incredible value for money. Um, this beneath the sunken catacombs yes it does have ai art but having pictures for your classes for your treasures for every creature in the book um is incredible it really is incredible um if it if it became a success I, that's i mean the, the 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 whole scene is saturated right what the chance of it becoming a success but if it did and i hope it does because i think it has some very um very um endearing features is that he he would then start swapping these pictures out for uh you know um for for art, real artists uh, material um or at least uh human human artists who are contributing uh, to his material perhaps for free um you know, all sorts of uh, problems with this uh, topic but uh yeah i mean some of the ai art here is actually very good and uh almost atmospheric you know it all has that kind of like slightly empty soulless look to it which is awful criticism but 
but it also has something else it has a bit of weirdness to it um and whimsy and sometimes actually quite um effective so um i'm going to say this is more a success than anything else i think the art in this is actually pretty good um Again, it's got silver pieces instead of gold pieces. I love that. That's one of the things I like about Lamentations of the Flame Princess, a game which has many, many great features, but one, alas, that I will not be bringing to the table for certain reasons that I'm not going to go into. Um, I'm not gonna, I don't want to get into that whole conversation. Um, uh, but this game, yeah, I can I can use this. I can hack it. I can use the actual game itself. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I, I really like it. Do recommend. Can't recommend it more. So that's enough. Um, as I said, this is uh, for OSR October. There'll be loads of other people putting stuff out. Um, no doubt Rob from um, um, Down in a Heap podcast will be putting out his stuff. Uh, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Castle so almost definitely will be doing stuff for this. Um uh, and many others as well. So um, do have a listen to their podcasts. Um, I'm sure they'll be taking, there'll be a myriad of of takes on the OSR, on things that they wish to cover. I wanted to look at some reviews of materials that I recently got because, well, once somebody had actually asked me about the uh, Adventure Anthology. So I'd already had a, a reason to do this. Uh, will I do anything else? Maybe, maybe. Um, Mid-month or late, later in the month, I'll, I'll take a look at some um, OSR games that I've been running, um, such as Morkborg, and how that went down, um, how people reacted to it. Other games that I would quite like to get to the table, like Warlock, or um, what's the other one I've got here? The Hero's Journey, something that is uh, very interesting looking, um, but again, nowhere near getting it to the table. Right, thank you once more for all your time. Enjoy your gaming. Uh, Be kind to folk and uh, be kind to yourself. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye.